Today on the Third Place Podcast, we continue our conversation with Stephen Diachilli of the Alexis Joy Foundation. We do want to let you know up front that part of this story is difficult to hear. It does have a tragic ending with his wife, Alexis, dying by suicide. But there is also hope in the story. Beauty has formed out of the ashes, and through the Alexis Joy Foundation, many women's lives have been saved and positively impacted. It's also appropriate that this episode comes out during National Suicide Prevention Week. It's such an important topic to talk through, and resources are available for you or anyone you know struggling with suicidal thoughts. Please check out the work of the Alexis Joy Foundation and share this episode and information to your friends and family. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging empowering, and, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. One of the questions I have around this conversation which just is just heartbreaking and devastating is for you you're also balancing like a time in your life that is supposed to be joyous like how is your daughter doing today how did you manage that half of the emotion were you even able to think about that half of the emotion you know my daughter she's everything that a child could ever be i mean she's adventurous she's she's really, really smart. She has a very high emotional IQ, which is really good, but also heartbreaking at times. She has a normal childhood for the most part. She's She plays soccer. She dances. She plays tennis. She skis. She, you know, she has everything that you would think, a, you know, a child could ever want, except for the most important thing. And it really bothers her. And the older she gets, the more difficult that becomes because the questions get more difficult. Um, so she sees a, you know, a pediatric um, psychologist that works with her because she struggles sleeping. Um, she gets anxious at night because she thinks about things that most kids don't have to. You know, she worries a lot about me. If something happens to me, I won't have anyone to take care of me. I won't have any parents. You know, mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking to hear, you know, four, five, six-year-old you know, worry about my mortality because, you know, she's been robbed in large part from the safety blanket and the security that I had as a child growing up. Yeah, it's not supposed to be part of their thinking at this point. Yeah, and she's not supposed to think about death, um, but she does. And she has a very colorful way. It's just interesting to hear a five-year-old explain death. Yeah. You know, involving the people they love most, um, you know, to the point where her psychologist will break down in tears and say, you know, I have teenagers that can't express what she's expressing. So it makes me happy that she's able to do this. And I think the older she gets, it's going to be wonderful, but it's heartbreaking to mm-hmm. hear, you know, the things she says. But, you know, even for me, like it was dark after Alexis passed. There was a lot of, it was a lot, it was, it was hard, um, I moved back in with my parents so I could have help. Um, I leaned a lot on my friends. I'm blessed with 
the best of both, to be honest. And still to this day, I lean on them. But the the real healing came through through the foundation and through the work we do and getting calls from other people that say, you know, my daughter might not be here or my wife might not be here if it wasn't for you sharing your story and helping. And, and I really say this journey, this adventure that my wife has sent me on since her passing has really made me such a better person, more compassionate, more understanding, and it has just kind of prioritized what's important in life. And I'm on a road, you know, there's no one advocates for financial benefits. <laughs> it's like, that's not even a thing. But the advocacy work I do has brought the most amazing people into my life and has fulfilled me in ways that I didn't know I could be fulfilled. And it's so gratifying and warms my heart. And it's such a connection between my wife and I. And it keeps her alive uh, in spirit. And it, you know, it keeps her alive with everyone that loves her, with my daughter, with my family, with my in-laws, with her friends. You know, we truly celebrate her every day. She makes a difference every day. She has led me to do things that I never knew I was capable of. Public speaking was my biggest fear. I couldn't even speak at my own engagement party or my wedding in front of the people that love me most. Like I could not do it. And now I speak in front of a thousand people. You know, I've done national news stories. I'm speaking with you guys. Uh, and, and not only do I still get nervous doing it, but I feel good doing it. I know it's the right thing to do. It's like, I have to do it. And I feel like it, you know, most single dads wouldn't be in a position to put the time and work into it as I have. So it's just become, it's like something that it's part of me. I have to do it. And it's, and it's led to so many successes in other areas of my life. I don't know. I I can't explain it. I, I urge everyone to get involved in something selfless because you believe in it and give a voice to people that typically don't have one. Um, give your time, give anything because God really pays you back tenfold. I mean, and, and the blessings that come your way, though it's not, people put too much stress on financial, you know, blessings, but the blessings that come your way are just unbelievable and so fulfilling. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of think like, who would I be if I had not gone, gone through this? Mm-hmm. And so I really believe it's helped me become the best version of me. My reality was I'm looking at this six week old baby girl, nonetheless, I'm saying, how the heck am I going to raise a little girl by myself and mourning and, you know, the loss of my wife who we were connected so deeply. I just didn't think that I would make it out of that. But then when you come through, you know, you survived. And not only that, I get to share that story of survival with other people and, and help them at their lowest time and give them some hope that they too, they're not just going to survive. They're going to thrive through their hardship mm-hmm. because it's possible. You know, my God, I would do anything to have her back. Um, but we can't do that. And so, but I can honor her and I can use this story to save other people's lives and not just around parents about anything in life. I mean, this, this story has been heard by so many and has helped so many going through so many different problems. 
I just, I sometimes feel like, what did I do to deserve this platform? Because so many people go through hardships and they, they give, they don't have a voice for anything. And they, you know, they struggle so much to be understood. And I've been so well understood since this happened. And so this is my course. This is the most important thing in my life is the advocacy work. I mean, we've talked about how anger can be a catalyst for change. And I'm feeling that theme somewhat throughout a little bit too, because I think when we lose people or expectations or whatever it may be, we experience loss. What comes up is all these stages of of grief, right? But sort of like there's one thing to have the anger, you know, towards the the way that it went and the way that it could have gone and the Zoloft and all of these, these things. But it's another thing to also participate in what I feel like I'm hearing you say is a layer of forgiveness in order to direct that anger to do the advocacy work that you do now. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone can really move on until they forgive, but what I will say the power in my story has to be told differently depending on the audience. Right. So one of the things I'm most passionate about is this facility that we built. It's an amazing story how that came to be. So actually what happened was I was sleeping. My daughter was crying all night and I was up in the nursery with my daughter. And my routine with her would be like, I would just go into the nursery, hold her, put like some music on and just calm her down. But the problem was as soon as you put her in her crib or she wasn't being held by somebody, she would just cry her eyes out. I was sitting in there and I just kind of, I was so stressed out. It was just so peaceful. And I was sitting in um, the glider and I was holding her and I had cool play playing and I... It was about four o'clock in the morning. I was still up and my wife comes into the room and she says, Hey pop, how are you so good with her? And I said, I'm not doing anything special with her. Nothing that, you know, you don't do with her. You just think I'm better with her, but I'm not. She's, she's calm with you too. She said, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm just listening to music with her. Like, that's it. Why don't you come sit down? And she said, no, I, can you please just come to bed with me? And so I put Adrian in her crib and I went to bed and I laid next to her and I said, how you doing mama? And she said, I'm okay. And I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. And I said, you promise me you're not going to do anything. She said, I promise I won't do anything. I promise I won't hurt myself. I said, promise. And she said, yeah. And she, she was Her back was to me and I was just, I would always like scratch her arm and her back. And she looked over her shoulder and she said, I love you, Pop. And so I woke up the next morning and I could, it was this really weird feeling in my house. And it was like the air was dead. And my phone rang was the strangest thing and the dog was barking and I looked over in bed and it was like my heart skipped a beat and I just dropped the phone 
and I knew something was wrong. And I ran around the house and I'm screaming, Alexis, Alexis, and I'm not hearing anything. So I ran to the first floor and I could hear Adriana crying and she was strapped to like the changing table and she was hysterical. And I went to the basement, I went to the garage, nothing. I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't hear anything. Went up back upstairs, went on the balcony, on the deck and nothing. So I ran back downstairs and then I, she was in the back of the basement, like behind clothes racks that we had. So I found her, I couldn't find my phone because I dropped it in my room. And so I went upstairs and I found her phone. I called 911 and then it was the whole, you know, trying to resuscitate her. Um, And so when the paramedics and police got there, um, they were able to find a heartbeat. So, of course, then your heart, you know, your hope goes through the roof. They rushed her to the hospital, the local hospital close to where we live. And then they life flighted her to a, um, a trauma unit, a, a different hospital down in the city. When I got to the hospital in the city, I was always and my family was always really close to um, our, our priest at the church where he went, Father Regis and. I I don't even know how he knew, but he was waiting at the hospital. And the first hospital we went to, my childhood best friend's dad was a neurologist, and he found out what was going on, and he actually beat me to the second hospital as well. When I got there, he just, you know, I got to the floor to ICU where she was, and he met me outside, and he said, Stephen, you know, I don't want you to get your hopes up. Her neck's broken, and there's no way she's going to make it. They're just going to keep her alive long enough to know, to get family and friends to come say goodbyes and, you know, all that. And so I was, I was so sick mentally, physically, emotionally. I I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I was vomiting. I mean, I was like, I couldn't even process thoughts, like to put two words together. I mean, I was, and so my family priest grabs me and people start pouring in friends, family, friends from New Jersey, friends from Florida, friends from you know, all these people. And Father Regis says, I want to talk to you. So we go into this little room. And I don't know, it was like, it was like time stopped. It was like, I was so calm and clear minded that I can't even begin to tell you. It was a calmness on like anything I've ever experienced. It's like, I don't think a normal person, you know, could even begin to feel what I was experiencing or has. And I'm talking to him and he's saying, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to, you know, and I don't know if we're there for two hours, 20 minutes, what I have no idea. All I knew is that I didn't want this feeling to stop. And so when we were done talking, I locked myself in a bathroom with a pen and paper And all the successes we've had as a foundation from the event we have every year, the week of her birthday, everything we've accomplished was, is on that paper. Wow. And the big thing was this facility because it was, it's like anything in life. You don't realize a need for something until you need it and it's not there. And it was like, we are going to build the facility that I know would have saved my wife's life. And if anything, I think we've just done it even better 
than I could have imagined that day. But I know my wife has a hand in it. The things that have happened for us to get to where we're at is nothing short of a miracle. You know, AHN and Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield were the ones that, you know, said we're going to get this done. But there were plenty of health systems that said what you're trying to do is impossible. It's never going to happen. You're a single dad. Go to work. Give your life, your daughter the best life you you can. You know, you can work on this till you're 80 and it's not going to happen. Um, it's too much money. It's too this. It's too that. It's too, well, it's not anymore. You know, and I think that's the big problem. I, I, I think why this area of medicine has lagged for so long, and I don't think any woman that delivers a baby today, I don't think it's all that different from the birthing experience that their grandmother had. And look at the advancements we've made in medicine in every other area. And so part of my thing is if I get the opportunity, it's part of the reason why I participate with, you know, postpartum support international 2020 mom. I've never said no to an interview or to chance to share my story ever, not even once um, because you never know who's listening. Um, you know, it's hard for healthcare, in my opinion, is to fix a problem. You have to admit there is one to begin with, and that creates a tremendous amount of liability on them. All the mothers that have gone through that health system when they knew they weren't doing the best job that they were. My hope is that people start using their voices, and that's why your platform's so awesome. It's like, I don't think anything can change the world quicker than storytelling. So if people before they deliver a child, when they first are choosing their OB, if the conversation is more like, okay, one in five moms experiences, you know, a perinatal mental health issue or postpartum depression, what kind of resources do you have if I'm these one in five? Or if you're a black or brown mom, you're three to four times even more likely with that. So what resources do you have for me? Like, let's start the conversation. Let's change the story. Let's change the way this book is written. Let's use our voice to speak the same language to get better results. You know, that's kind of where my passion is now, is making sure that not just moms in Western Pennsylvania have access to resources like this, but all moms everywhere. Men, you know, we're 50% of 100% of the problem. We should also be a part of the solution. You know, we have laws in this country that protect puppies from being separated from their puppies for eight weeks. You can't buy a six-week-old puppy. Yet the only way for a mom to get treated in this country, the first thing they do is separate them from their baby. And they already think they're bad moms. So how do you expect better results? And how do you expect moms to speak up when they're scared they're going to lose their child? You know, we have to make it okay to not be okay. There has to be facilities like the one we have here where mom can get better with her baby right next to her and her husband if she chooses. I became a dad the day that we brought our daughter home from the hospital. My wife became mom at conception. Why wasn't I at all the doctor's appointments leading up to it? And I understand we have lives and there's bills to pay and there's everything. But if dads were a part 
why do we only go to the sonogram or whenever we find out the sex of the baby? That's the one appointment that dads go to. Had I known the OB that turned around and left that room, if I already had a relationship with her, it would have been a lot easier for me to say, no, 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 no. You're going to stay in here and deliver this baby. Or for me to call after when my wife was struggling and say something's really wrong. But it's hard to have those conversations with strangers. It's not if you've laid groundwork and you've had a year or really 10 months to build these relationships. You know, and then there's also like women that miscarry or stillbirths or women and, you know, fathers that have to make hard decisions because their babies are not healthy babies, you know, and we have been left out of the pregnancy. And I don't blame us solely for it. Um, but I know that if we're given the opportunity to do better, we will. And so, like, how do we change the conversation? I guess presumably doing what we're doing right now, but how do we put a bigger lens and a bigger audience on that? And really, that's kind of where, you know, my perspective is constantly changing throughout all of this because now I'm raising a daughter and I'm seeing how this thing, you know, how it affects my daughter. I know how it's affected me. You'd think it'd be in health insurance best interest to be proactive and help moms. I mean, I have, you know, six, almost seven figure medical bills from my wife's two day stint in ICU with life flights and everything else. They could build a safe place for that price. You can tally up my trips to the ER having panic attacks because I worry if anything happens to me, my daughter is an orphan, you know, her mother's Alexis's mother. Like it's cost, the health system millions, just this one story. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I mean, that was going to be one of my questions as a male, what we can be doing more actively in supporting advocacy around postpartum concerns. And it sounds like what, with what you just said, it's a little bit more of a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach. How do we, as men do our part to engage in the story much sooner my story was so, so different. You know, I, I, I wouldn't have recognized that I had postpartum depression if it were not for my husband, because it sounds like Alexis was able to articulate that, which, you know, like you said, is, is very much the minority, but it was only because he participated in those, um, engagements with our OB and preemptively that they constantly would drill into him how he could recognize the signs, you know, of course I was receiving at that time, but when you're in it, I mean, that ability to articulate was not the case. So that proactive nature, I think is definitely was helpful in my healing from postpartum. But I also just really want to like first acknowledge my gratitude to your vulnerability, Stephen, and, and sharing Alexis's story and that, I have no comprehension of understanding how you felt or how you feel now or how your daughter does, but that I do truly believe that the power of our story and this moment, and I know David speaks the same, so honored to have you come here and be so authentic and raw and honest and that this is, you know, only the start and you've said probably 50 things that I've walked away feeling like 
that I can participate even as someone that's, you know, no longer in that journey of having a child, but I can participate even more than I even realized prior to talking to you. So I just want to pause for a second and say thank you because I'm so profoundly moved. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for giving me uh, a platform to, to share my story. Um, the first time I ever had to public speak, it was the first Mother's Day after she passed. It was downtown um, in Pittsburgh. It was an opportunity for medical students and current doctors to get CMEs. It was, I think, three credits. And it was still so fresh. And I, I mean, every time I had to speak, I would just cry my way through everything and just choke it out. And But it, it was important. It had to be done. And so I'm... <laughs> I'm laying in bed and it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm still not asleep. I have nothing prepared. I don't know what to talk to these people about. And so I'm looking for a sign. I'm going, I talk to her all the time. I'm going, babe, like, please, you got to help me out. Like, please give me something. I open the nightstand and I pull her iPad out. And, you know, it's six months, I think, after she passed. And the screen's black. I open it, it's black and this white screen pops up. And it says in it, if you weren't happy with yesterday, do something different today to change tomorrow. And so that was my speech. And I talked about our experience, our birthing experience, you know, six months prior yesterday. And um, everyone in this room, there was 350 people, I think, has it, you know, they're all in healthcare, but we all have this story, move forward, share it. Because sharing that story today will lead to better outcomes for, for moms and families tomorrow. And it's so important to understand that when mom's sick, the family's sick. It's not women's health, it's family health. You know, and same thing for your audience. If you listen to all of this, we're probably on the same wavelength and your, the passion is there. Please, please, please share the story. And know that there is a center in Pittsburgh that is treating families together and Tell your healthcare providers you expect the same in your area. Yeah, that's such a great, great moment and a great moment again, just even with your vulnerability to share with that with that group of students. And I'm sure it did make a difference for tomorrow. So, you know, I go back to something that Mary said at the beginning, you know, what I'm leaving with is Mary described birth being the closest to death and therefore women have this experience that men can't quite relate to. But in your wife's death, and I hope I don't minimize this in any way, but it sounds like so much life has come after. And I think that, yeah, it sounds like she already has saved so many other women's lives and had deeply impacted other women's lives and living that through you and your work. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you, Alexis. Yes, so much good has come. So for that, I'm grateful. Where can people plug in to learn more about uh, the center and the foundation. Okay. So uh, the foundation is www.alexisjoyfoundation.org. We have, if they just type in on any uh, their social media platforms, Alexis Joy Foundation, we're there. Um, we are a very small grassroots organization whose reach I think is far greater than our capabilities. So you have, you have to... <laughs> bear with us a little bit. It's like me, my cousin, my sister, and a couple other people that just here and there 
help out. Um, if you leave a message, I try to get back to you. You know, we're in the biggest mental health crisis in the history of the world right now. Um, so people need this more than ever. There are other resources, um, Postpartum Support International, postpartum.net, I believe, is their website. There's free supports for anybody there. You go there and they have all 50 states and even internationally, they can link you to, to supports that you need. Um, and the community's really close-knit. So if you're looking for help, um, you can do it you know, anonymously send a quick message. No one's going to share anything, but PS postpartum support international is a great free resource, you know, that can help anywhere where our facilities kind of were in Western PA, you know, and if it wasn't for this pandemic, we'd have additional locations open right now. And that's the hope that one day we will have them in all 50 States, but um, I believe we will. So that's the, that's the dream. So I believe you will too. Yeah. No reason to suffer in silence. If you're struggling, speak yeah. out and, and, and you don't have to accept, you know, if something sounds off, especially from one man to, to, to another or any dads out there, if your doctors are telling you, your partner, something that you don't believe or you don't think's right, you, they don't know anyone that you love the way you do. So if it doesn't seem right, keep asking questions till you get the answer you want. Yeah. And I, I love how you brought up the black and brown too. I mean, pieces of the story. My mom was a, a labor delivery nurse for her whole career. So what she told me was different than what our doctors were telling us. And I had to choose, right? you know, and, but it felt like in so many of like the videos that would play, you know, in the nursery room for the couple of days after we're targeting black and brown families and, and giving advice that was like uh, contradictory to so many things. So I don't know. I just wanted to acknowledge, like, I love how you, you are aware of that gap that you brought that in. And I think it came up in some of our conversations with women that have struggled with infertility. You're the only one that knows your body and right. you know it better than your doctors. And I hope that those voices can be raised. Not that the doctor should be ignored, but to your point, you're the only one that knows your body. You're the only one that knows your right. partner better than anybody else. And it's okay to be your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can be confusing as all hell when you're going to someone that you think knows more than you and you want to trust. So, again, just like so much love and gratitude to you, Stephen, and to Alexis and your daughter. And I'm really impressed and amazed and grateful to also know the community that was interwoven through your story, even from the get go. And I think that that's a Another thing that's a, that's a takeaway that um, even with the best community and the best resources, you know, there's, there's still more to talk about and more to be said. So thank you again, Stephen, and um, to everyone listening, there's plenty of takeaways and we'll make sure that we have a lot of show notes so that you can engage in this conversation as well. Thank you. Be well. third place podcast is produced by podcast publishing house if you like what you're hearing follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms apple spotify also check out the episodes on our website thirdplacepodcast.com for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes the third place is all about continuing the conversation so make sure you follow us on instagram and facebook at third place podcast 
There you can check out our weekly co-host, Happy Hours, on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.